Totally Football Show. Today, we look back on the midweek action brought to you by the Premier League's new streaming cast partner as clubs provide the full Amazon experience. Spurs repeatedly putting things in the box for very little reward. Liverpool always delivering when Everton are not at home. And West Ham just not bothering with attacks. We ran up all the big news and we tease ourselves with the weekend's exciting Premier League fixes, including the Manchester Derby and West Ham Arsenal. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Here for you today, uh, we're offering a choice of four views simultaneously. They're all a bit blurry and lagging well behind, but still, there's Duncan Alexander, just back from Korea. Hi, James. Tom Williams, the author of Do You Speak Football? Hello, James. Uh, The Athletics' Michael Cox, author of The Mixer and Zonal Marking. Hi, James. And we're trying out a new voice today, so bear with him. Uh, From The Greatest Game podcast, it's Jamie Carragher. Hi, James. Yes, hello, Darren Farley. So you could be with us today. It's astonishing how you do it. I'm kidding, of course. Jamie's uh, with us today uh, off the back of the Sky Sports Christmas party, Jamie. Yes. So I'd like to come back again and give me best <laughs> on another occasion. But uh, yes, it went well, especially right. on the back of an, uh, a derby win for Liverpool, which we watched. Absolutely. Uh, and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on that very shortly and on all, all sorts of other things. Uh, more than 700 games for Liverpool. Uh, 11 major trophies, and you've read both of Michael's books. Yes. Which one did you prefer? The latest one. Right. I did enjoy that one, the European football one. Nice. Really good. Still in the back of my car in the boot. I have read it. I'm, <laughs> you're going to I'm in the process so. of actually passing it on to someone. I haven't quite got there, but every time I uh, open my boot, it's there. I don't do that. I get him to buy another one. <laughs> Zonal parking. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Hey. Uh, busy midweek, Duncan. Mm. Liverpool notched up their biggest win of the season, pushing Everton into the bottom three. Saints climbed out of the relegation zone. Ahead of the weekend's Manchester derby, City had a big win over Burnley and Man United did OK as well, beating Spurs and their former manager, Jose Mourinho, and climbing past them too into sixth, where they are nine points closer to Watford in last place than they are to Liverpool. Someone actually pointed out to me on Twitter last night, and this is better than the thing I put, that Man United are closer to zero points than they are to Liverpool which is possibly not where you want to be in early December, but there you go. Astonishing. And, Michael, you went to a game midweek. Yes, I went to Stamford Bridge. And everybody else stayed at home and, and tried out the, the, the Amazon experience. How was it for you, Tom? Yeah, it was good. The only issue I had was I watched Man United Spurs on my telly and then watched the Amazon Goal Centre on my iPad, but the goal show thing was in front of the telly, which was a bit confusing. But that aside, very slick. No complaints here. Okay. Yeah, no, for some reason, it seemed to work much uh, less well on television than it did on a laptop. I don't know if that was anybody else's experience. Worked well on both for me. Did it? Mm. Okay. Smooth. But it was good. The goal show, I mean, I know that there are a lot of people online saying, oh, this happens in every other country in the world. But I think for people in the UK, it was exciting to have a, you know, be able to watch all the goals go in live as it happened. Finally. Mm. We've been waiting for a show like that to come along. (laughs) Finally, Amazon. With real clubs, yeah. (laughs) With with real clubs and real pundits. Uh, Excellent. And Jamie, you went to karaoke after the Merseyside derby Yes, that's that's the only thing for it. When you win five two in a derby game, there's no better place to go to uh, to celebrate than karaoke. And had a little go at Bohemian Rhapsody. For for the record, it was Bohemian Rhapsody with Gary. Yes. Okay. Did you? And how did you divvy up? And a another. Yeah, I'm not sure who that was. Right. Okay. <laughs> how did you divvy up the uh, vocal duties? Basically, whenever the fella in the middle gave us the mic. Okay. He was he was he was hogging it. Magnificent. Do you like a karaoke? Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Only, only with a drink. Right. All right, then. Uh, well, you certainly had a lot to celebrate, and the Merseyside derby is topic one today. 5-2 for Jurgen Klopp's side. The, the, the kind of knock on whom previous to this game was that they won repeatedly, but they hadn't really had a good performance. Have they now? Yes, it was a lot better, and I think Liverpool, as you mentioned then, about not playing well in certain games, but they've always turned up in the, the big games. For Liverpool, Everton is a, is a huge game, no matter where they are on the table. And if you think of Man City at home, Leicester at home, Spurs, Arsenal, the the real sort of big games this season, Liverpool have really performed like a, like a top team. It's it's the other games where they've almost just just done enough really to get across the line and to uh, to score five certainly with the the front line that they had out. Which when I saw it, I was shocked. I must say that uh, he'd made those changes. I was expecting those changes to come on Saturday at Bournemouth. But 
it was still when you looked at it, I was thinking the only thing that was keeping me going was I think this this front line scored four against Barcelona, so you can't com- complain too much uh, really when you see the see the team. But I just thought Mane was was outstanding. I think at this moment he's. Uh, I actually put a tweet out, maybe with a few drinks, and me getting really excited when he was setting goals up in the first half. That he's in the world eleven playing left wing. Well, certainly in my world eleven playing left wing. But the fact that he was the one who was picked and and not Salah, not Firmino, and this is the player who I think's had two weeks off mm. basically after you know a summer tournament, gone straight into the team. He's just he's an absolute machine. Yeah, you you tweeted, Mane, you're a machine. Two weeks off in the summer, three exclamation marks. My favourite player. By a mile. What does it say about Liverpool that a huge game, as you say, but Klopp basically went with squad players? And what does it say about Liverpool that they won so convincingly with those squad players? Well, I remember there was a game two or three years ago where he made a lot of changes for a Merseyside derby and they, they drew nil-nil and there was a lot of allegations afterwards that you know he didn't get the Merseyside derby, he didn't understand what an, an occasion it was. But I just think Liverpool are such a good side at the moment and to be frank, Everton is you know, so poor that uh, you know with this December, he's probably going to have to rotate Almost every game. I don't think there'll be many games in December where we'll see Liverpool's first choice eleven. So uh, yeah, I think a home game against Everton, who are now in the bottom three, you can get away with you know mm. resting your best players. Yeah, I mean Divock Origi's got a great record against Everton, so it's probably less of a gamble than it looked like it was at first. Um, for me, the most exciting thing about the game was it was Mike Dean's first ever match at Anfield in the Premier League, which seems bizarre, but is true. Aren't there various conspiracies about which side of Merseyside his his loyalties lie? Obviously, he is a Tranmere Rovers fan, which is well known. But I'm sure there's there have been whisperings about whether he leans towards the Reds or the Blues. I mean, maybe the that's only, him. The only two Premier League entities to have more than 150 penalties are Liverpool with 157 and Mike Dean with 151. So it was a shame that they couldn't combine last night for for their trademark move. But but he he had a he had a good game actually because it was a bit feisty in the first half and mm. he he didn't lose control. Uh, where does Origi sit in your favourite players in the world right now, Jamie? Oh, Origi, what do you say about Origi? Oh. Well, Rockahula, for he's, example. He's possibly the, the best, worst player in the world. <laughs> if that's, the, I don't know how. He's just, he, he just scores in big games. He's a legend at Liverpool. He's a, is he, is, I think he's what you call a cult hero, I'd say, mm. really. I think if, if one of the front three were out for it, a long time you would worry going forward but you actually look at the goals he's got his minutes to goals ratio big game goals it's it's unbelievable but you would I think you would worry as a, as a Liverpool supporter if one of the front three got a, you know a serious injury maybe what Fabinho's got now if someone was out for six to eight weeks really and if you actually look at it the last few games when Salah's missed he's actually not put a Rigi in he's put Oxley Chamberlain is part of the front three, which doesn't quite work really, and it is something that I think Liverpool would struggle with if, as I said, one of the, the big three were out. But he just produces big goals. When you say worst best footballer or best worst footballer, do you mean is he like in the, the kind of Pippo Inzaghi mode, not actually very technically talented? No, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. But he scored two goals in the Champions League final against me, so I can't really say nothing about uh, <laughs> Inzaghi. But okay, so if if uh, if Origi's a guy who's good at being in the right place at the right time, but part of that was extraordinary service he was getting uh, on Wednesday night. I mean, the, the, the balls flying in were just extraordinary well, level, huh? Yeah, Trent Alexander-Arnold once again. That's now 15 Premier League assists just this year in the Premier League, which is uh, insane. He's now got as many Premier League assists since the start of last season as Jack Wilshere ever managed in or was managed in his entire career. So. Um, you know he's becoming semi-unplayable. Really, mm. um, the way Liverpool switch the play is just you know teams can't cope. It just felt like there were three balls coming in from almost every angle yesterday. I mean, Jordan Henderson played a couple of great balls to Mane that he didn't quite take advantage of. But Henderson, you don't really associate Henderson with playing balls like that. And I guess you have to question Everton's defensive line as well, right. which you know looked pretty high up the pitch. And the pass from Mane for the first goal was an absolute beauty and there was a great camera angle you could sort of see Mane's line of vision he, you can kind of see him admiring the pass as it goes in and yeah Lovren with the pass for yeah. Rigi's second Trent Alexander-Arnold with the drilled pass in the build up to um, the Shakiri's goal I think um, yeah absolute quality I think if you're Everton was there anything they could have done 
uh, about that against a, a Liverpool side on that kind of form? I found the team selection a bit puzzling. Um, I mean, it was the same team that, that Marco Silva had picked for the game at Leicester, where Everton actually did quite well and, and um, lost to that very late goal that needed to be upheld by VAR, having originally been ruled out for offsides. They were obviously in that game. But you look at the, the composition in the midfield, played with a back five, then their sentiments are Tom Davis and Gilfie Sigurdsson, Iwobi and Richarlison wide, um, and then I think it was Calvert-Lewin up front on his own. And I just think when, when you've got the amount of, of, of quality in that Liverpool midfield, surely you need to put more up against that than Tom Davis and Gilfie Sigurdsson, who's never been a, a defensive-minded midfielder. And, uh, OK, I must admit, I didn't, I didn't see the Leicester game. I and mean, obviously, must have worked relatively well in that game if he'd stuck with it. But, yeah, you, you saw the, the, um, you know, the team selection last night and it did look curious. Yeah, it, it did work relatively well against Leicester. It feels like it was a selection where it was... The notable thing about the Leicester performance was they really were fighting, I thought. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a sign of a, a group of players who'd given up on the manager. It just felt like a selection that was OK, we've got to keep that together rather than looking at the opposition and obviously the result was conceding five goals. Well, there's a lot of talk that there's talks going on at Everton uh, this Thursday morning. We'll see how that goes. It does seem a bit harsh to judge Silver on a way at the King Power and then a derby game that they haven't won for, for decades. But next up for Everton, it's Chelsea at the weekend, who, Michael, you'll be telling us all about later on, fresh from seeing them in action against Villa. And Liverpool, meantime, will be facing Bournemouth. Jamie's a boyhood Everton fan. What's your take on the mess at Goodison? What would you do? Well, they're in a situation now where they have to change the manager. They're in the bottom three now. And uh, I was a big, strong advocate of Marco Silva getting the job when that first came up and there was different names getting mentioned. I liked what I'd saw at at Hull and Watford. I know people reference that and say, oh, he got, he got relegated to Hull, but I think he'd done a really good job at Hull. He lost, I think, Snodgrass at January. He was, he was the best player for, for Hull. He, his team were organised. He gave them a fighting chance, basically. And, you know, you actually watch Everton, and I know... You know, on this show you speak about expected goals and things, and that's something we look at at times on Monday Night Football. If you actually look at the, a lot of the numbers for Everton, they're not for a team who are in the bottom three, really, in terms of... Uh, they, haven't, they haven't got a centre-forward who can score. And I think the goalkeeper lets them down at, at different times. And I think there was a, a status or on uh, Twitter last night, maybe a, a half-time, that Jordan Pickford had conceded the last five shots on target at Anfield. You know, he's not making saves, you, you go back. And... It has to change because as soon as the fear of relegation comes in, you have to change the manager. And I've had this discussion with a lot of Everton fans who a lot of still in my family, friends who I mix with on a daily basis, and they're so against David Moyes coming back uh, to the club. They're so against it. So against it, you wouldn't mm. believe. And considering the job he did there, which I thought was miraculous at the time, considering uh, the financial restraints at Everton then, which is different now. But I don't think they've got any option. They've been in this situation, I think... 12, 18 months ago, they bring Big Sam in and it's almost coming in to do a, a Sam Allardyce type of job, really, in terms of just keeping them up. But I just don't know where they go from there because the fan, if the fans don't want them and David Moyes keeps them up, what do you then do? Are you then looking for another manager to keep David Moyes? So it's in an, uh, a very difficult predicament. But I, I actually think Everton's not a, it's not an easy club to run or manage because how are they ever going to be where the supporters want them to be? you know, being in the top four or competing with Liverpool, it's not easy. So they're basically one of those clubs who's been left behind, really, with the Premier League. And it's unless they get a, a Man City-type ownership, they're never going to get back to where the supporters maybe feel they should be. On the silver front, Michael, we talk a lot about players getting better under managers, managers improving their teams. Is that one count that Marco Silva really falls down by, given that nobody at the Everton team seems to be in any way improved by his presence? Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that angle before, but I can't think of anyone to disprove that theory. So, yeah. right, okay. As I say, decision pending apparently uh, at Everton. We'll talk more about uh, the future in terms of this weekend, perhaps a little bit later on. Would you get into this Liverpool side, Jamie? Uh, I certainly wouldn't. Would I get in the Liverpool team? You've got to be in the like, Lovren, like, no? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, Lovren's a strange one in that you can watch Lovren for 90 minutes and think he's one of the top centre-backs in the world, as he said himself. <laughs> um, but then he'll just do something when you go, oh, Dejan, no. And, uh, Dejan Vu, we call it. Yeah. yeah. But I'm a big fan of Matip. I like him. I think I think Matip goes in alongside Van Dijk at this moment. In right. The, uh, or certainly as, as Liverpool's next best centre-back. The, the great thing about Van Dijk and the great thing about every great centre-back he goes through the Premier League era 
they make other people look good, and that's what Virgil van Dijk does. He just automatically, the rest of the back four, we're talking about the full-backs being fantastic, we're now talking about Lovren doing really well, Matter, uh, and it's just the presence of, of van Dijk. I think someone like Tony Adams, if you, you talk about the famous Arsenal back four, if you actually look at them as individuals, you wouldn't say they were great players, really. Think of Winterbane Dixon, Keown Bold, a lot of those players bought from lower leagues by George Graham, as, as was the... The case, uh, certainly in the late 80s, where you, you bought players from, but t- to be such a famous back four or back five, including the keeper, a lot of that was Tony Adams, I think. You know, just having that presence there, making other people play better. It's almost like the kids are with the dad and, and the dad's looking after the kid, you know, just making sure everyone's okay. And I just think Van Dyke has that effect on He's the on daddy. Everyone. He's the daddy. Who was the daddy for you then? Were you the daddy? I was the daddy. James. All right, excellent. <laughs> Good. All right, after this, we'll talk about what happened at Old Trafford. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right. Man United. They failed to beat Sheffield United. They failed to beat Aston Villa. They lost at Astana. Uh, but they beat Spurs, who won all their games so far under Jose Mourinho. Why? What happened? Well, as Jose Mourinho rather slyly alluded to after the game, United have actually got quite a good record under Solskjaer when they're playing the bigger clubs. You look mm-hmm. at some of the wins they've had this season, the 4-0 against Chelsea on the opening weekend, which was not a 4-0 game, but which they uh, made a good job of. They've also beat Leicester at home. Um, and then we, we saw that again against Spurs. And I think, I think something that Jose Mourinho may come to realise is that he... He is going to need to pick one of Ericsson and Undombelli if he wants to look after the ball better. He went for Winks and Sissoko in centre mid last night, which is something that Pochettino kept going back to without ever really any great success. Um, and I think, I think from a United perspective, Scott McTominay coming back in made a massive difference. He's arguably been their their best player this season. Um, and again, talking about players who influence those around them, Fred looks like. You know, a sort of competent footballer when he's got McTominay alongside him. Can't really say the same thing when when he isn't there. Um, and with that platform, it means that the likes of Rashford, who's obviously in tremendous form, Daniel James, even Jesse Lingard, who I thought looked quite bright, they've then got a platform to, to go and perform. Um, and in fairness, I mean, it was only two one, but it was pretty comfortable for United. You never really got the sense that Spurs were going to get get back into it. All right, did it help the fact that Martial was out and Rashford could play in his more natural position? I mean, he has he has played there quite a lot. I mean, often it, I mean, Solskjaer kind of swaps them both around. The problem United have got with those two players is that they both want to play in exactly the same area of the pitch, and they're both very similar players. But you know, Rashford has shown the last few the last few weeks, um, you know, that he looks like he's making that step now that we've all been waiting him to make since he had his breakthrough season. I mean, you look the last sort of the last three seasons, he kind of feels like he's plateaued a little bit, but he's he's currently on thirteen for the season at United. Sorry, he's on twelve for the season. For United, which is one less than his best ever tally um, for the so, whole season. For the whole season, so he he looks like he's making that step, and you hope that when Marshall does come back to fitness, Solskjaer finds a way of fitting them both into the team that, that allows Rashford to play the way that he's playing at the moment. Nice. John Morgan's got two questions: one for Duncan. How is the Amazon win probability worked out? Magic. No, no but it's it, there, kind of on the yeah, screen. Yeah, no, it's it? obviously based on you know team ability game state things like that so right. when stuff happens in the match that will then adjust so With- was that a useful stat to have up, or was it just because it was a different stat, do you think? Well, it's new. It's quite a popular thing in American sports. Is so, it? Yeah, yeah. So. To let you know what is probably going to happen. Yeah. Is that something you could do in everything, like in dramas? You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, like probability Midsummer Murders, probability of a murder in the next eight minutes has gone up to 80% because the lady's gone into the village shop or something. Yeah, could happen. Is that a good indicator of... I don't, I've never, to be honest, I've never seen it, but okay. I'm, I'm, so I'm guessing. Nicely done. All right, sorry, the second question, John, uh, is uh, try not to be too reactive, says John Morgan, but is Fred quietly becoming a good player for Man United? Like Ant needs deck, does he need McTominay? Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I was uh, I was at the game at Bramall Lane when Scott McTominay was was not there, and right. Fred was playing alongside Andreas Pereira, and he looked absolutely hopeless. And Fred has frequently looked absolutely hopeless when he plays for United, but when he's yeah, he, he does seem to um, to look like a better player alongside McTominay. Um, you know, I think he feels less responsibility to kind of manage the midfield when he's got McTominay alongside him. I don't think he's ever going to be a world beater, but we saw at Shakhtar, he's, he's a decent player. I mean, he's right. a Brazil international, so there is a decent player there. I think he's got a branding issue. I think if you're called Fred, you're always starting from a major disadvantage in terms of people's perception of you. For Spurs, the good news, uh, Deli Ali scored again. Oh my word, what a goal. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a great compilation you could do of great goals in Premier League matches that actually 
just happen in defeats, and that is right. going to be right up there because it was incredible. What a touch! Yeah, ball dropped from high. He kind of flicked it with his right foot between two defenders, and then swiveled and, and finished. So. Yeah, magnificent. And VAR getting involved with a potential handball. I mean, that would have been possibly the most unpopular VAR yeah, moment that they'd... we've seen so far. Mm. If that had been ruled out for handball. All right. Well, that was the good news anyway, Deli Ali. The bad news is that this was, by I think common consent, back to the levels that saw their previous manager walk in terms of their application, desire, commitment, that kind of thing. Uh, any idea about how to pass between each other and create a chance? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the biggest surprise is that Mourinho's come in and they are not really defending well at all. I mean, that's the first time they've conceded two or more goals in four consecutive games um, since 2015. So, Mm. you you know, you imagine Mourinho coming into a club where his first thing he'll do is at least tighten the defence up, and that hasn't happened. So, Indeed not. Well, they'll be uh, facing Burnley at the weekend, while Man United take on Manchester City. That's Saturday tea time. Uh, City who did look a bit back to their old selves against Burnley midweek with a 4-1 victory at Turf Moor. Can United hurt Manchester City, Jamie? I don't think they can. No? No. I expect Manchester City win that comfortably, to be honest. I, I, listen, I think that whenever Manchester City plays, certainly at home, uh, really. I think I, I go back to a game a few years ago, this game, when uh, I think Mourinho was in charge and, and Man City, I think, were 2-0 up. And it could have been five or six up. Raheem Sterling was missing chances. I think he played centre forward that day, and Pogba got in on the act, I think, and they won the game 3 2, I think. Uh, I actually expect City to have that dominance again, but to then go on and you know win the game. I know Manchester United got that result last night uh, against Spurs, but I don't see anything but a, a Man City win. I think there's a huge gulf between the teams. They got a result against Liverpool, though, didn't they? I mean, of, 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 a, of a sort. They do tend to perform, as you were mentioning on Monday, a bit better when they take on. The, the top sides. Yeah, and I think Solskjaer performs better. I think I've been quite impressed by some of his game plans away at Arsenal and away at Spurs last year when they kind of used a diamond and two wide forwards. They do seem to be able of, uh, you know, switching formation and, and causing the opposition a surprise. But a little bit like what we said with Emery, it's quite reactive, but when you have to fall back and play a, a plan A, you wonder really what the default is with, with United. Okay. Well, they have pace though, and, and, and with City's defence struggling somewhat at the moment, there's a there's a chink in the armour there, no? I mean, City have got five league games without a clean sheet, mm. which for a team who have been so solid defensively the last two seasons is is pretty surprising. And yeah, you know, as, as we've been saying, one thing that Solskjaer does seem to be quite good at is 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 making game plans for these big matches. And I actually think if you look at the makeup of the United squad, they're better suited to playing on the counter attack because primarily they've got so much pace on the break than they are trying to dominate teams with possession football. So I mean, I can see United scoring, but City looked a bit more like their their old selves. Against Burnley, so yeah, I mean, you'd have to back a City win here, I think. Right, goals for Rodri, Riyad Mahrez, and two for Gabriel Jesus, leading to some hilarious Jesus beats Pope tweeted from Duncan over there. Uh, a very impressive performance, not you, Man City. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they looked good. I mean, it should be pointed out that. Burnley away is one of these fixtures that people flag up as a really tough place to go. But like, they've like, act- like Crystal Palace. Yeah, but <laughs> Burnley have actually only won one of their last 20 home games against big six teams. So it's actually not a very hard place to go. So, yeah, quite, I mean, quite City- the opposite. Yeah, exactly. So, City- so the, yeah, one win in 17 defeats in the last 20 against big six sides. Yeah, and that one win was against Tottenham in a, in a spiral as the Pochettino era kind of unraveled. So, yeah, it was a good win for City, but it's kind of what you would expect. Right. Although United equally have uh, not a bad record against Man City at the Etihad. They've they've won two and drawn one of their last four visits. I think you were just referencing the the, the one where Pogba dyed his hair blue and you know spent too much time worrying about his yeah, hair I mean, doing uh, I think these these two games, certainly the Spurs game and, and the City game the weekend was seen as I think really big games for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm. It was just starting to maybe the screw was just starting to turn in terms of people really questioning his role and um, and suitability to manage Manchester United. So I think it was a huge win for for him uh, against Spurs. I think it almost takes the pressure off in some ways for the game at Man City because no one's expecting Manchester United to get something and, and three points out of six. I think Manchester United fans where they are, I think would be or well, certainly would be acceptable. Well it was certainly acceptable to Gary Neville last night after the, the Tottenham win. He was really he was more than happy to uh, 
I wouldn't say wave the white flag to Manchester City, but he's got his three points out of the six that he wanted as a Manchester United fan, so he's more than happy uh, last night. But it just feels like Manchester United and Solskjaer seem to get the win when they really need it in terms of his job. You think of the you know the Leicester game, certainly the performance against Liverpool. When it feels like people are really sort of focusing in on him, he seems to you know produce a result. I wouldn't say that keeps him in a job, but certainly keeps the uh, the criticism off his back, shall we say? But mm. I think uh, you know a bad derby defeat, as we know with Marco Silva, certainly does not go down well. No, indeed not. As a player, he did. He helped his club so much by coming off the bench. I, I wonder if he might do the same as a, as a manager. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Do you want to make a prediction here, Michael? After boldly suggesting that Man United would trouble Spurs. On Monday? Yeah, I agree with, uh, I think, what Tom said. I think United will score. I mean, if Rashford plays like that, you know, the City's right side of their defence isn't particularly strong at the moment. Just to back up Tom's point a bit about clean sheets. Thanks, guys. Yeah. No, um... Keep it going. (laughs) We are... This is the first Premier League season ever to see uh, under 0.5 clean sheets per game for teams. So, you know, even Liverpool, Mars Hmm. clear at the top, have kept two clean sheets. The famous Derby team in 07-08 had kept one clean sheet by this point. So, you know, it... Both teams scoring in the game is pretty standard. So, right. yeah, I think United will almost certainly score, but I think City will score more. Jamie, apologies if you've covered this extensively on a Monday night, but is that something that you can explain why so many teams that have spent so much money, even this summer, on, on, on bringing in defenders, but even Liverpool, who have Van Dijk, who have probably the, well, one of the best full-back pairings in the world and an amazing keeper, why nobody can keep a clean sheet this year? I mean, it's, it's something you, you think about and I, with watching the Liverpool game last night, they're the playing such a high line that I think there was there was a chance in the second half, Moise Keane went through and missed a really good chance at yeah. one stage. It almost feels like every game Liverpool play now, the opposition will go through on goal at least once. And there was almost a feeling, I think, with VAR coming in where, you know, you're not going to you're not gonna fall foul of a, of a, a bad linesman decision that they're being almost too brave in, in holding this line and uh, thinking they can catch teams offside. I, I don't like it when I'm watching it, uh, Rian. I don't think it's right that the opposition should be going through on goal different times. That's just speaking from a Liverpool point of view. I mean, a fellow from the local press done something on Liverpool conceding goals. Before last night, I think 80% of Liverpool's goals they conceded were sort of in the last 10 minutes of a game when the game was almost won or they were 2-0 up. And it was sort of actually being a concentration thing and uh, maybe not pressing as much because the game was won and different things. Things, but it actually feels like, or I think it, it is proven that VAR is probably taking more goals away than it's actually given in some way. So it is surprising that so few teams are keeping clean sheets, uh, but there's not too many daddies about in the back. I four, suppose that's right. Yeah. After this, Michael's trip to Stamford Bridge. Here he is, Fairweather Freddy. Supported United back when they were winning titles. Switched to City when they came good. Oh, you're back in this weekend, Freddy? Um, well, Merseyside is technically only 45 minutes away from me house, so I thought that... Yes, it's a season of giving away points in Manchester, but for the rest of us, it's a season of giving. And Paddy Power giving you money back as a free bet on all markets if Raheem Sterling scores against Man United. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. On this match only, max free bet £10, pre-match singles only, online exclusive T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Listener, there's an interview when you're done with this uh, show with the current Blackpool manager, Simon Grayson, in our to- a new Totally Football League show that is out now. There's also, if you're at a loose end, a new Golazzo uh, available. It's all about Everton and interlegend Marco Matarazzi, a.k.a. The Matrix. Were you a Matarazzi fan, Jamie? Not really, no. No? He was... Uh, he's, he's a World Cup winner, isn't he? He was really yeah. poor for Everton. Champions League there. winner. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a sub, wasn't he? I'm, I'm, I'm not massive <laughs> on people who claim medals when they were subs, to be honest. But no, Jimmy uh, Traore. Yeah, well, he, he started in, in Istanbul, so he can, uh, yeah, as you say. But no, I think, I'm not sure he came on in that final. Did Menino bring him on in the last minute or I so? think he did, yes. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And then there was the tearful scenes in the underpass at the Bernabeu. Yeah, afterwards. yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I just what? remember him in, his, uh, hmm. in the Everton kit, the Everton team of Walter Smith with right. Oliver Decor and that type of team, which was not great. Well, you, you know what? If you have a listen to the podcast, Gulazzo, it's called, you'll learn all sorts of things that you maybe didn't know about Marco and how he ended up under the tutelage of Walter Smith at Goodison briefly and, and what he did afterwards. Extraordinary man who, who's been at the heart of so many 
pivotal moments in recent Italian football. Uh, in uh, any other podcast news we should know, Jamie, any recommendations you'd like to make at this point? <laughs> well, on the back of listening to this fantastic podcast that I listened to, the Totally Football Show, that uh, I thought, why not do my own? Because I kept getting asked going on other podcasts, uh, Liverpool fan ones, maybe Everton ones at different times. And uh, I thought, no, I'll do my own. So the Greatest Game podcast is uh, is out now. Uh, among the guests so far, Thierry Henry. Yes. Uh, Jordan Henderson. Yes. Uh, Tony Bellew. Yes. Okay. Uh, Paddy McGuinness. Yeah, so what, what we've got is we've, we've tried to mix it with football people, celebrity people who basically have got... A, a love of the game, basically. And the best one we've... Well, I certainly the one I think the best one we've done that's not come out yet is... Uh, Steven Gerrard's is really good. OK. Uh, but it's not the uh, Steven we... Gerrard. It's, it's more management stuff. OK. And it's, uh, it's really good. Does he good. take us behind the curtain? Yeah, I mean, he actually goes back to being a kid. and uh, The smell of mint. Yeah. The 86 Cup final, Everton Liverpool, and actually celebrating Gary Lineker's score. And even though he was a boyhood Liverpool fan, which I could not believe, it was a story I, I didn't know myself. And then I was actually talking to him about the managers he'd had and putting himself in their position. Okay. So basically, uh, Rafa Benitez bringing him off against Everton, Gerard Hulier publicly lambasting him after a, a Champions League game, and Brendan Rodgers basically ending his Liverpool career, putting himself in their position. Could he understand it? Or would he have done the same? And uh, he wouldn't have done the same. He would not. <laughs> <laughs> When's that one kind of uh, drop? That will be that be after Christmas, unfortunately. Okay. So maybe a bit of a long wait. Okay, but in the meantime, amuse ourselves with the one that came out today, which features is it Niall Horan? Yes. Is that how you say it? Because I'm, you know, I wasn't familiar with, but that features Niall Horan out of One Direction. Yes, and a massive football fan, a massive Derby County fan. And a brilliant story in that he used to, with his dad, who basically became a Derby fan on the back of Brian Clough era of being successful, they used to get uh, the boat over and go back to Ireland on the, you know, basically they'd be travelling for a full day to watch Derby County games, basically, him and his dad leaving very early, getting back, watching the game. Pesca Salido is his favourite Derby uh, County player. There's a huge rivalry with Leeds, so he doesn't get on with Leeds too much, uh, really. But you sometimes forget, listen, he's a he's a, he's a megastar, isn't he? But so many of us, uh, we're all massive football fans, aren't we, when we're kids? And he was one of them. He's, he's, as I said, he's gone on to do what he's done. But uh, I don't think you'd ever forget that thing when you first go to the game, isn't it? Seven, eight years old, and that's where the love of the game comes from. So that's what he's gone for. It was a nice touch for Derby in 07 08 because they were only going in one direction that season, aren't they? I'm going to tweet that later. <laughs> so uh, that's on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts, and all the usual places right now. Michael, Chelsea Villa. Chelsea had lost their last two, and uh, do they look much better here? They did. We spoke on Monday about the fact they hadn't committed a, a single foul in that defeat to West Ham. Uh, they committed seven here on just one player, <laughs> on Jack Grealish. So they were certainly a little bit more feisty. It was a bit of a needle to the game. Um, but Chelsea were the better team. I think probably the uh, the two main takeaways would be, one, the goals both came from the same source, right-wing cross, uh, which is concerning for Villa because they conceded two to right-wing crosses against Manchester United as well. Um, and the other was just that the players who we've almost already started to take for granted, who Lampard has brought through, were the guys involved in the, the goals. Uh, the first one was James setting up Abraham and the second one was Abraham setting up Mount. And they're just, you know, they've they've not been the most consistent in recent weeks, which I think is natural considering their stage of the, the development. But uh, yesterday were really good, especially Mount, who I think was, uh, you know, there was a bit of uh, back and forth between the fans, between, uh, how can I phrase this? Aston, Aston Villa fans were singing that uh, Mount was a poor man's Jack Grealish and Chelsea fans vice versa. So it was interesting to see the comparison between Mount and, and Grealish, who may be going for the same spot in uh, Southgate's England squad. Right. That is interesting. Chelsea visiting Everton at the weekend, while Villa will be hosting Leicester. Leicester continued their fine run, staying in second place with the 2-0 victory over Watford. How big is that game on Boxing Day, Jamie? when Liverpool visit, fresh from that trip to uh, Qatar. It is a big game. I was at Leicester uh, against Everton. I mean, the atmosphere at Leicester, sometimes you, you talk about new grounds and maybe not having the atmosphere of the old place they come from. But, I mean, every time I go there, the atmosphere is, is fantastic. You know, what they've done in that stadium. And, and when they 
the, the, the winning goal went in. Also, the drama of the VAR was... Uh, it was just brilliant to be in, in the stadium when it happened. And I think th- certainly the worry for Liverpool, especially with them being top with Leicester, is Brendan Rodgers, when he was manager of Liverpool, almost winning the league, was on the back of Liverpool that season not being in Europe and actually having a training plan where Liverpool were almost you know, blowing teams off, off, the, off the pitch in some ways physically. Uh, around that. So that would be a worry for Liverpool in the second half of the season if Leicester can you know, continue the run that they're on and if Liverpool go far in maybe not the domestic cup competition because I think <laughs> they may not mind actually going out of those uh, two but if they're in Europe and you know, you've got Leicester team who are fresh and, and also because it's Leicester we're almost thinking the underdogs uh, against the Liverpool or a Man City and, and rightly so but they've got players in the team a lot of them who've, who've won the league you know they've been there before. Liverpool haven't really got too many uh, within their squad. So yes, it is a huge game. I think the big thing for Liverpool, with certainly Leicester and Man City now looking like two rivals, is that those two teams haven't played each other yet. They've still got to play each other twice. And I think a big thing for Liverpool is when they go to Qatar, as you mentioned, the league game Liverpool miss. I think it's West Ham away. Mm. I think that day, Liverpool, uh, Man City play Leicester. So Ooh. no matter what happens in that game, it's it's going to be almost a a good result, if you like, for Liverpool. Uh, just on fixtures in the future, obviously Arsenal's famous forty nine game unbeaten run, Liverpool on a current club record unbeaten run. If it continued and fixtures weren't juggled around due to whatever, do you know what the fiftieth game would be? Man City away. Wow, so that'd be big. But it's not so going to be should, that. Uh, the so I should do that game. But is that what it's going to be, even with the current fixtures as they are? Yeah, as it stands. Yeah, assuming the the game they miss when they're away for the World Club Cup is rearranged before that. Before game. that yeah. game, right? How many are they on at the moment? Thirty-two. Thirty-two now. Yeah. In other potential record chat, Jamie Vardy has now scored mm. seven games running, taking him to four games of his own record for scoring in consecutive Premier League matches. And if he carries on scoring at that rate, he could equal his own record in that game against Liverpool on Boxing Day. Brilliant. Um, Brendan Rodgers was saying yesterday that Jamie won't be focusing on that. You had a season under Brendan, didn't you, Jamie? Yes. And how was that? It was good. I spent a lot of time watching uh, rather than playing, uh, I must say. But no, I I really really enjoy it. Listen, Brendan Rodgers is a manager who will be someone who will... He, he just loves coaching and managing. He'll, he'll be a manager till he's 60 or 70 in different jobs and different experiences. You think of, say, Lampard and Stevie Gerrard now. I'm not sure they'll be managers till the 60 or 70. They want to have a go at it, they experience it. You know, they, and they may finish in 10, 15 years' time. But someone like Brendan, his whole thing is about, you know, coaching, managing. And almost you think... I think he was 38 when he took the Liverpool job, right. I think, Brendan Rodgers. And I think that there is something, obviously, that he will want to have a crack again at the real top. And that's why this, you know, you talk about Arsenal, uh, certainly right now. But I've said for a long time, even when he was asked, he's the best British manager out there. Maybe you, you could argue there's not great competition, really, because the top jobs, are, a lot of foreign managers have those. But you think of the experience he's had, some good some uh, not so good but you know being at Liverpool Celtic uh, really the pressure would come with the Liverpool job and dealing with that I'd done an interview with him uh, probably two or three months ago about that and he was he was really good on how dealing with the pressure and he almost wants a, another go of that pressure and I think he will get another go uh, whether that's uh, this season or next uh, what you could, might call it a so-called you know, well, the, the top six club you, you know the impression that the general public have about Brendan Rodgers? Do you kind of have, yeah. what's, well, the, yeah. <laughs> what's the biggest misconception that we have about him then? With the envelopes and the... Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. I get all that. I see all the, the Brenton and all that type of stuff on social media and, and you know, that, that type of stuff. And uh, I'm not sure there is that many misconceptions, actually. Uh, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. yeah. No, but he's... Uh, no, he's a, he's a really, really, really good coach. And sometimes I think in, in this country, when we get a coach like Brendan Rodgers, who likes to play that type of football, maybe the way he speaks at press conferences, it's not the way we like our manager. But if a foreign manager is like that, we almost embrace it, mm-hmm. uh, really. So I think in England, we think, oh, who's he think he is? This type of fellow, whereas, as I said, we embrace him from a foreign type of uh, thing, really. But he, like, he... We've got a British coach who wants to play the way Pep Guardiola wants to play, or the, you know the real, real top, 
you know elite managers want to play uh, really and I think we should embrace it and that's why I think at this moment he, he is or certainly not just now I've been saying for a while I think he is the best British coach out there right. to be fair the envelopes thing he took from Sir Alex Ferguson who did it at the end of United's first title winning campaign yeah not a bad place to no, take where it is from but uh, probably looks worse when it's on that on camera documentary <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah. which I think in all seriousness really did his reputation a bit of a disservice I think he struggled to get over that for a while Rogers. was that the season did he do that with you yes and what was the reaction among the players to be honest I think everyone thought it was almost like a, a gimmick uh, in some ways really I don't think anyone took it too seriously. did he ever reveal at the end of the season <laughs> the three envelopes <laughs> but you have to surely if you're going to throw yeah. that gauntlet down you can't I, not go back yeah, to the envelopes. Yeah, I think everyone knows it was. Uh, there's never anyone's name in those envelopes. But I mean, I don't think that did us any good. You talk about actually documentaries now. And there's a lot made of Mourinho and the the you know, the one coming out and the you know, the Man City one. Ours was embarrassing. Mm. Ours was terrible. It was what was it? I'm not even sure what it was called. It was. Is it, it was, becoming Liverpool? Was being, it being, oh, being Liverpool? Liverpool yeah, right. Oh God. It, I think it kind of showed how not to make club documentaries yes. in a way, in the sense that you look at all the ones that have come out since. You mentioned the Man City one, the Leeds one, the Sunderland, the Juventus one. one with that terrible yeah. the voiceover <laughs> on Netflix. But they're basically just PR exercises. You, you can see that the club have got quite a big say over what goes out and. The Man City one was fascinating, but you didn't ever really see anything that you weren't supposed to see, whereas you got a lot of that in the in the Liverpool one, which is what made it such compelling viewing, mm. and unfortunately for Brendan and some of, the, some of the other lads. In football news, Wolves beat West Ham 2-0. Saints had another win, 2-1 over Norwich. Palace handed Bournemouth their fourth straight defeat. And this was 10-man Palace, who hadn't actually won at home since September um, how bad is it going to get for Bournemouth as they drift down to now just two points off the bottom three? I mean, this was really bad to, to be playing against 10 men for 70 minutes. Um, and, I mean, they dominated possession, but they weren't really creating chances. I thought that was really worrying. As we've said before, they're just a confusing team, Bournemouth. I never know what to make of them. Sometimes you watch them and they play brilliant, you know, free-flowing football. This was an opportunity to do that. And, yeah, they barely created anything, but Palace's defensive organisation was fantastic. And uh, I think the player who really deserves a lot of credit is uh, Jordan Ayew, who basically did the work of, of two players for a lot of the time here and led the line well. You think of Jordan Ayew, he's quick, he goes in behind, but he was also holding up the ball, bringing others into play. And uh, yeah, I must admit that was a you know a signing I wasn't convinced by, but uh, obviously it was there last season, they got him permanently. But he scored some important goals this season and yeah, it was excellent on uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, well, but it's a weird one with Bournemouth. I mean, obviously, Matt Davis-Adams on this programme has tipped them for relegation. And, right. Um, he, Which we scoffed at. Well, I didn't, to be fair. Did you not? I might be saying that now. Um... But yeah, they only had five shots after the red card, which is not great when someone gets sent off in the 19th minute. Um, and they've actually had six more players sent off against them than any other team in the time they've been in the Premier League. So they technically should know how to play against 10 men better than anyone else. So, right. But like Michael said, they you, you never know what you're going to get from them. There was a question, actually, this one's from Richard Foster. Read that very topic. Uh, how many times has a team with 10 men beaten one with 11? I suspect, says Richard, the ratio is higher than expected, maybe 30%. Yeah, it's gone for a, a nice round number. It's, it's around 20%. So, is it? Yeah, which is, I don't know if that's higher or lower than you'd imagine. Probably. I, that's higher than I'd imagine. I d- presumably it depends a lot when the red card is. Yeah. I mean, this was such. A, this was 20 minutes in it, nil-nil. Yeah. I mean, the all-time best team at it, unsurprisingly, are Arsenal, which obviously mainly came in the early Wenger era when they pretty much had a man sent off every game and still won. They've, they've done it 34 times, um, which is genuinely impressive. But you've got 70 minutes against Palace. You should probably have a few more shots. Yeah, not just Palace, but Palace, uh, who then had Patrick van Arnold off with injury. Yep. And I think it already got a bit of a defensive crisis going on in terms of injuries anyway. Yeah, Cahill was out. Um, it was a strange red card, down. that. I, I, I almost felt I'm, I'm not quite sure what he's meant to do. It's so hard not to make that tackle and not to end up following through. I, I kind of see why it was given, but I've got a lot of sympathy with Sacco there. It's just impossible not to challenge for that ball, I think, if you're a defender. Just mm. quickly on Bournemouth, as you say, four straight league defeats and then next four, yes. Liverpool at home, Chelsea away, home to Burnley, then home to Arsenal. <sighs> so... Might be a might be a tough winter for the Cherries. Yeah, indeed. So Liverpool next. Liverpool have actually won on their last two visits to the Vitality Stadium, four nil on both occasions. Salah getting a hat trick last season. Harry Wilson won't be available to play because of the archaic loan rules in this country. 
<laughs> Josh King is out. So this might mean Dominic Solanke coming in to haunt Liverpool. It could happen. It could. Um, weirdly, this is Liverpool's sixth Saturday 3pm game this season, which is equals last season. So. That's weird because... Well, because people say all oh, big clubs never play at three o'clock on Saturdays anymore, but Liverpool are doing it quite a lot. Right. I think we're all, or well, certainly from Sky's point of view, maybe the other broadcasters are uh, saving, them saving up. Liverpool games because they think something may happen. Jamie, do you get a, a role in that, in selecting the fixtures? No. I think people on Twitter think we do, uh, the amount of abuse. Uh, it's all Gary then, is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think we, we get our schedule, well, listen, when, when the games come out on the... I think it's a month, six weeks in advance. Right. But there's no doubt, I think it, it is a really interesting thing uh, how they pick the games. A lot goes into uh, that, uh, really, and, and seeing what BT or other channels are picking and, and what who they've picked, and they can't pick this team for that week and that. So it's, you, have, it's, you it's have a quota of how many, say, Liverpool or Man City games you can have? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's how many first picks, and you can't pick a certain team. If so many first picks in a row, you've got, then you've got to let... Obviously, BT have have a game also, so it's 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 a lot goes into it. It's quite interesting, really. Actually, when you speak to the people and the reasons why they pick certain teams, or you almost let someone else have a big fixture, mm-hmm. and they ha- almost have to take. But that means then they can't show that team again that season. And is uh, there's a lot there's there's a lot goes on. I always used to like the way when Stoke were in the Premier League. They'd always choose Stoke home games because of the atmosphere and the long throws. I can't ever remember a Stoke away game ever being live on telly. Well, I, I can't. The, the one we laugh at that, uh, I can't remember us ever doing a Monday night football with Newcastle being at home. Newcastle are always away from home. And I think it's because we know all the supporters will then watch and get the viewing figures up maybe. But uh, that's something that's maybe not great for Newcastle. But it just feels like we always do them uh, away from home as we did. I think we've done it a number of times this season already. Uh, Newcastle are in action late tonight uh, away at Sheffield United. So they'll be tuning in for that. Arsenal-Brighton is the other game this Thursday evening. Arsenal are in action on Monday night. You'll be doing them uh, the game away at West Ham, Jamie. Yes, and uh, we've got Rafa Benitez coming in, Ooh. which should be good. Fingers crossed, nothing there. Uh, happens majorly and Arsenal get a decent result tonight so there's not more talk of maybe them uh, moving another manager on uh, Freddie Lundberg but yeah got Rafa coming in it's a, a good game for us a lot riding on I think for both teams and, and maybe both managers so it, it, yes, it's good to get him in Monday Night Football is about uh, maybe a lot more tactical than maybe other shows that we do and you've probably got one of the most tactical uh, managers coming on so it'll be uh, obviously I know him well but it'd be good to uh, See what he's got in store for us. Brilliant. All right. Well, Freddie, Freddie Youngbo returning to his former club as well, West Ham. He had a really weird one-season spell at West Ham. Did he? You clearly have forgotten about No, I've, I don't think I ever knew about it in yeah. the first place. When was that? 2007-8, I think. It was oh, after, right. after he left Arsenal and before he went to India and America and Japan. Uh, Nick Miller of this parish has been doing an excellent series based very much on that, of you know players who had spells at clubs. That's a great one. That's one right there, isn't it? Because he was linked with, he was briefly linked with the West Ham job last week, or it was said that West Ham were monitoring Jungberg's developments. And just thought that's weird. Would they've, are they convinced he knows the club from that one season at Upton Park twelve years ago? I don't know. It just seems a strange one to me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Producer Ben asks Jamie, what are the odds of Rafa going to West Ham or Everton? Well, the, the the funny thing uh, with Rafa Benitez and Everton is actually Everton fans are quite, or well, certainly warming to the prospect if it did happen. And there was a someone I follow on social media, like an Everton fans forum, and uh, it was a, a vote between David Moyes and Rafa Benitez, and Rafa Benitez got ninety percent of the votes. Right. Would you uh, would you believe? But I think uh, there was a story yesterday I read in the press. He's on a huge contract. Uh, Rafa Benitez now the new club he's at, and I think it'll take an awful lot of money to get him out of that contract. There's no doubt. I think he he wants to maybe whether right now or certainly in the future he wants to be back in the Premier League. I don't think he's going to get one of the plum jobs, if you like, with the top six. So I think someone like a like a West Ham or an Everton who are just outside of of that really would uh, would be the best he could get. But I just I just can't see him at Everton really. I just can't see it. But West Ham who thought they had Rafa Benitez, I think, a few years ago, and on the day he was due to sign, he got a call 
from Real Madrid. He went to Real Madrid, so West Ham missed out on him. So there's obviously connections there already with the club. So I, I think West Ham is a job I could see Rafa Benitez doing in the next few years. A lot of, lot of unhappy West Ham fans on Twitter last night as well. A lot of fair amount of Pellegrini out chat. Obviously, they got that fantastic win uh, at Chelsea, which no one saw coming. But that's the only league win in nine games. Right. So a lot of a lot of unhappy hammers around at the moment. Yeah, it's not been the greatest of seasons. We'll have uh, loads more questions coming up in a second or two, and a bit of a quiz, excitingly, Michael, because I know you're a big fan of those. Love a quiz. Uh, first of all, though, let's get some odds on the weekend fixtures. Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price is on the line. He's from Paddy Power, and I know you're excited. Lee, let's start, please, with the Manchester derby this weekend. What's going to happen here? Well, clearly Man City, the favourites here. They're 2-7 to seven to win this match. Uh, United 8-1 to one to win the Manchester derby with the draw 9-2. Rashford was at the double for the Reds in midweek. 11-4 to four he scores any time here. While Raheem Sterling, rumoured to become Man City's highest ever paid player, is even to score any time. And if he does, Paddy Power offering money back as a free bet on all markets. TNT's apply, of course. Over to the south coast then, and it's Bournemouth hosting Liverpool. Can Bournemouth, who are in a horrible run of form, can they do anything against the Reds? Bad news for Liverpool naysayers. They keep winning, and now they're starting to play well too. We expect them to win again this one. Two to five, they beat Bournemouth, who are 11 to two. The draw, seven to two. We've heard Jamie Carragher raving about Sadio Mane. The Senegalese is even to score any time in this one. Although, of course, he could be rested. We make it 4-1 to one that Origi and Shakiri, the super reserves, both come in and score again. And finally, it looks like the clock is very much ticking now on Watford's time in the Premier League. What's going to happen when they take on Crystal Palace? Another day, another huge fixture for Watford. Another new favourite for their next manager. They're 5-4 to four to get the win here with Palace 21-10. to 10. That's very tight, but we just about make the Hornets the favourites for this. The draw's 11-5. to 5. As for the next manager, the favourite at the minute is Kike Setien, 7-4. Big Sam is a 7-2 second favourite. The uh, change in my octave there, an indicator of how surprising that is. Mark Hughes, 6-1 third favourite. Sabri Lamucci, fourth favourite. Can you get a more bizarre list of candidates? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Loads of questions for you, Jamie Carragher. Here's another one from producer Ben, who's kind of abusing his position here. But anyway, uh, he says, uh, everybody knows you as a one-club man. Did you ever have, though, one of those almost-went-to-another-club stories? No, I don't. And I don't think... My, well, I know for a fact my agent never, ever spoke to me and said this club would interest you or do you fancy this? I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that actually no one outside of Liverpool actually rated me uh, to move on. Roberto Martinez, when I worked with him on TV, Mm. actually told me he tried to take me at the very end of my career uh, to be part of a a back three that he used when he used uh, used to play 3-4-3 for Wigan. I think I was out the team under Kenny towards the end of um, my time, but I I got no uh, wind of that. Uh, really so no I haven't got no juicy stories I mean, my name was never in the paper linked with anyone I used no. to just pray one <laughs> Sunday morning I'd wake up and see myself linked with someone to give me some sort of ego boost but no unfortunately it never happened sorry about that SHL what were your favourite derby m- memories involving you personally well my first derby game I played centre back I think I was 19 I was up against Duncan Ferguson and at that time, he had terrified Liverpool for four or five years in the, the Joe uh, Royal uh, era. Uh, Roy Evans was manager of Liverpool at the time. So that was my first derby. Basically, no one could control Duncan Ferguson. Uh, me and Michael Owen's job was to basically double mark Duncan Ferguson on set pieces uh, because no one on their own could cope with them. And to cope with that, Duncan Ferguson gave me an elbow very early on. Uh, which certainly livened me up for, uh, for my first derby game. But I could play those games. I loved them. I was a massive Everton fan as a kid. Went on to play for Liverpool. And the derby game for me is still the biggest game of the season. Watching the Class of 92 series, it says John Morgan again. It seems even his own brother finds it hard to say nice stuff about Gary Neville. <laughs> as a former player for his biggest footballing rival, what do you really think of him? I mean, I, mean, I could not stand him as a player. Uh, I can put up with him now. Why, why could you not stand him as a player? He was Ferguson's little 
rat on the pitch, wasn't he? He was just, you know, he was, you know, running up to referees and antagonizing people, and you know, he just, he was just Gary Neville basically. Uh, but no, get on fantastically well with him. Surprisingly, now he's a very funny man, uh, which may surprise a lot of people. He's a brilliant pundit. He's fantastic. And I was open on hotels all over the place in Manchester. Uh, he was a great player. He's just not a great manager. <laughs> right. Have you, have, you, have you, so far anyway, How have you ever been tempted by management? I think when I was uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, in the dressing room at Liverpool, I think if, you, if you'd have asked anyone in that dressing room who would be a manager, me or Stevie Gerrard, I think probably 99% of people would have said me. I was because a, of your daddiness, of course. Uh, but no, I mean, listen, I'm obsessed by by football. I, I watched everything. I read everything. I do now. I do. I, I always did as a player, consumed by the game. And I think Rafa Benitez and Gerard Hulier maybe put me off it in management in a little way because they're the two biggest influences on my career. The two of them together was 12 years of my Liverpool career. And the the man who came in, I was so impressed with. And the man that left was just like a completely different person. That's what the job had done. I'd also been lucky that I'd, I'd played for Liverpool my whole career. I'd never had to do a normal footballer's life, if you like, of, of moving your, your family around the country every three or four years. Right. So probably that put me off a little bit. I'd done a little bit of punditry and uh, a bit of coaching. I, I enjoyed the punditry a little bit more. It was ITV, I think, in the Euro 2012 at the first time, with actually Roy Keane, who's with us now on Sky. And I got the bug for that a little bit more. And to be honest, Sky asked me to do the job before someone offered me a coaching role, if you like, so I took that job. Brilliant, OK. How much would you have liked to play with Virgil van Dijk? Oh, I loved it. I'm not sure Virgil van Dijk would have enjoyed it too much. Uh, but no, he, as I mentioned before, what he does to uh, to other players... I mean, the interesting thing is that he's seen as the... And, and rightly so, he's the leader. He's the daddy at the back. And I've never played in a football team where someone has told me what to do on the pitch. I've always been the person who told someone else what to do. So I'd actually quite enjoy that dynamic of actually who actually gave in, uh, really, and accepted that the other one was going to tell them. And I, I can't see myself giving him... Virgil van Dijk's a far better player than than me, but uh, he wouldn't have been able to tell me what to do. It ended up me having to tell him what to do, whether they needed it or not. Just on that, the interesting thing is everyone thinks of van Dijk as, as Liverpool's leader. He's not actually the captain. Was that a similar dynamic when you were there with Stephen Gerrard was the captain, but you always came across as more of the you know natural leader? Yes, in that, listen, I, I think a lot of made certainly now of captain scene. It almost seems to have gone out the game now with it, you know, the armband. I mean, you look at the Arsenal situation now as well with Aubameyang now captain. But there's no doubt I was what you might call seen in people's eyes as the old fashioned captain who's having a go at people onto the referee, whereas Steve, he was almost, uh, was a captain that people looked up to. Uh, I mean, every time a new sign and joined Liverpool, the first thing they said, I want to play with Steven Gerrard. So he was always that figure, really. But yes, in in some ways, yet yeah, Steve, he wasn't someone who had a go at players too much on the pitch. I think, I'm being totally honest, I think he was, well, he was a lot more respected than me and I just think he was a far better player than me. But he was someone who would, speak to the players privately or, you know, text messages or, you know, different things. Whereas I'm, I was very just, you know, just get on with the game. I don't need to have relationships with people as so much in the dressing room. Uh, really. I think that's a, probably a big part of captaincy now because I think probably the players that you're playing with are a little bit sensitive. You talk about managers now having to manage a group of players and not give them the... The hairdryer or the Ferguson treatment is a lot different in management. I think that, I don't know, that maybe in, in captaincy as well. And I think it's interesting that Stevie has gone into management and I haven't, in that I look at people like maybe even Gareth Southgate, that the people who you'd associate as, as captains, who you naturally think they'll be managers, I think it's now changing where it's the actual, the quiet one, the, the thinker, if you like, who's who's more of that as opposed to someone who's ranting and raving on a, on a, on a pitch. I think I've done more than ranting and raving, but I think you, you know what I'm coming at. And I think, uh, yes, that, that was my role, as I said, on the pitch, to be like that. Stevie was never going to be like that. But I think it's just interesting that those type of personalities now become more managers. Yeah, I remember when Southgate was a player, people always used to say, oh, he'll make a good pundit. Yeah. They never actually said he'll make a good manager. So 
To, to be fair, he is a good pundit. Yeah, he is a good yeah. pundit. Well, yeah. you you know that he sometimes used to listen, so you're always nice about him. That's as well. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, excellent. All right, here's a quick quiz then, a Jamie C quiz. Uh, let's see how you do here, uh, Jamie. And anybody else? Uh, I know you boys are big quizzes. So, but anyway, question one: You played seven hundred and thirty-seven games for Liverpool and scored five goals, not counting the ones. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Who were those five goals against, Jamie? Aston Villa, correct. Middlesbrough, yes. Fulham, yes. Southampton, yes. How many are we on now? Four. Oh my God. Uh, Kaunas? Yes. yes. It was FBK Kaunas. I didn't want to bring up the own goals, but do you realise you've scored 0.2% of Tottenham's goals in Premier League history? <laughs> I do now, yes. <laughs> Thank God for Richard Dunn, though. <laughs> He's saving me. Uh, who called you the third best defender in the Premiership in the 2004-05 season? Is it an, an AC Milan yeah. player? Is it Maldini? It is Maldini, yeah. Yes. But uh, and I've seen you say since that you were just delighted he knew who you were. Yes, I was. I was, um, when I said I was obsessed with football, I think before the, the Pep Guardiola Barcelona team come on the scene, the best team I'd ever seen was the, the Milan team of the late 80s, early 90s with Brazi and Maldini. And they were videos that Benitez used to show me. Uh, he, his big thing, Benitez was a regal sacky and how he set his team up and we some, tried to almost mimic that in terms of how we, we played as a, as a back four. You're never going to do that. But yeah, the big heroes for me were, were Maldini and Berezi, who actually tweeted, and I retweeted it, that uh, Virgil van Dijk should have won the Ballon d'Or a few days ago, Berezi said. Interesting, interesting. OK, question three then. Who was Rafa Benitez talking to when he said, if you understand Cara, you'll understand everyone? <laughs> was he talking about my accent? Well, or? he was, but he was talking to a player. I mean, to be fair, it was really just an excuse to get that quote in. He was actually talking to Fernando Morientes. Oh, OK. Right. Okay. Uh, so on to question four, final question. Who were you talking about when you said he's the only number nine ever to go through a whole season without scoring? In fact, he's probably the only number nine of any club to do that. He was always the last one to get picked in training. <laughs> I think that may be my friend Aladji Juf. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yes, yes. The man we signed and missed out on Nicholas and Elka, which uh, was Ooh. not a great uh, start for any player, really. And that was, I think, one we all look back at towards the end of Julio's time. And you think about where things started to go wrong. Uh, it was probably that decision, really. Fair enough. On such moments are destinies created, which is something we like to go and look back on in Flip Reverses. That's a ripe topic for discussion one day, Duncan. Excellent. Well, you got kind of three out of four, I think, Jamie, no? Yeah, which, you know, you'd, you'd hope you would do. So that's nice. Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, you're very welcome to return anytime you like. In the meanwhile, you're entering the Potters, or you've entered the Potters field with the greatest game and mention all the exciting ones up at the moment. Who have you got in the pipeline for that? Well, I interviewed Martin Johnson. World Cup winning rugby captain. I interviewed him uh, last week. So got him coming up. He's, he's a big Liverpool fan. Craig Bellamy is another one, which he was really good. Mm. Craig Bellamy is, I mean, we all have a, a you know, uh, interpretation of Craig Bellamy. He's got a really good football brain. Uh, and that's a lot more, you know, about the game. Obviously, a few funny stories in there as well. We mentioned this, the Stevie Gerrard one. Also, Neville Southall. Oh, who, right. Okay. Who was a big yeah. hero of mine, who's very prominent now on Twitter and is very funny on there. Speaking about a range of uh, subjects away from the game as well. He's, he's very big on, he's very political, certainly on social media at the moment. So I think we're going to get to uh, a series of 13, basically. So I think we're, uh, we're almost done with this series and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back again after Christmas. Right, because it is hard work, let's be frank. Uh, <laughs> Michael, you're going to be back on this show on Monday. Yep. Along with Daniel Story and Benji Lanyardo. Great. It will be interesting to see his take. Uh, we're talking about to miserable West Ham fans, see how he's feeling about life. Duncan, what have you got up next after your Korean jaunt? Just preparing for Christmas. I see. All right. <laughs> Traditionally. It's All right. a Christmas party tonight. Yeah, it's our Christmas muddy, party. Muddy Knees Christmas yeah. party. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I can't go to it because of... There's the football. Yeah? Yeah. That's a good excuse. Hope I look as Bloody fresh. football, eh? Yeah. Hope I look as fresh tomorrow as Jamie looks after his. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, here's a late question and a good one from the boss who wants to know, what did you think when Terry touched you up? Read the Rogers sack. <laughs> this is fantastic 
I mean, you've seen the clip a billion times now. Yes, uh, Thierry, yes. He has now uh, gone back into punditry. Uh, I saw last night he was at the, the Merseyside derby. Yes, it was something that we tried to recreate uh, a few months later, but didn't actually quite work. But it was just... Uh, is that when you when something goes viral? I think that was the first time I worked out what viral meant uh, <laughs> in terms of social media. So, no, it was, in a, it was a good one. But when he actually reached over and touched your leg, what did you think? <laughs> Because it doesn't happen often in a studio, No, does it, it doesn't. And it was just that look into the camera. And I've seen all of there's like I think my favourite one is the EastEnders music, where it just touches my leg and then the EastEnders music uh, comes on. To be fair, we didn't have a clue Rogers had gone. We just got right. told then. It was, it, was, it was a strange actual time, really. Six, seven o'clock on a, on a Sunday night that uh, Brendan Rogers had gone. I didn't realise we were all in shot. Right. And sometimes when you're looking down the barrel of the camera, I was actually... The producer and the actors are thinking, I can't believe Rogers has gone, but I didn't think I was actually on camera. So when I look down the uh, the main camera, that was almost like a nod to, to them, thinking, wow, what a big story we've got there. But it was a it was a four shot, shall we say. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Tom, uh, you're back with us soon, but uh, in action at the Christmas party this evening. Yes, uh, very much so. Looking forward to it. Where's this um, Christmas party? Can I get any details? Or? Uh, yeah, Secret location it? in Soho, I believe. It's nearby. I mean, it, it's, it's... It's posher than last year. Is it posher than last, last year? Last year was just... We can't say on air, apparently. The highlight of last year was Tom falling over. So can we, I thought we were not going to mention that ever. Did you, oh, you fell over after the karaoke. I performed Dancing on the Ceiling Upside Down. Oh, which is, uh, I think, the high the best point, way? or indeed the low point simultaneously. Well, for... Michael, in the karaoke, performed a beautiful rendition of um, End of the Road by Boys Two Men, in which he'd changed the lyrics that it was about the sad demise of the 442 formation. And that was, uh, that was quite something. Never, never change. <laughs> That's not true. That's not, that is fundamentally not true. Right. None of that is true. Anyway, uh, we will have stories of that, perhaps, but certainly of the weekend's action when we return. Uh, on Monday for more Totally Football Show fun. Many thanks for being with us, everybody, today. And uh, you especially, listener, have a great weekend. We'll catch up with you after. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.